When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody and welcome to Talking City Podcast, brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today is a, a very, been a very busy Mr. Simon Rakowski, I would wager, but Si, how are you? I'm much better today than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, in the words of the great Cody Rhodes, Si, what do you want to talk about? Because... <laughs> I just don't know where we can possibly start today. I'll tell you what, it's just reminding me now, I was just actually reading one of your pieces about the uh, the ordeal on Monday and it, you talked about the the original Champions League ban in 2020 and it took me back to that immortal day on Valentine's Day 2020 and about quarter past six, I think that news broke and I was in the office all in my lonesome um, and was like in utter shock and horror at the prospect of having to cover that on my own for the next four hours and I had to ring you up and you were in Morrison's getting a lovely little Valentine's Day meal um, for your now wife, somehow still, <laughs> somehow your now wife after you abandoned those plans um, in the in the name of content and journalism to come back in and spend the next three hours or whatever it was with me untangling that whole mess and thankfully this time um, the latest sanctions came on a Monday at a reasonable time of about 10 o'clock and yeah on Monday as you all know right now City fans um, a four-year odd investigation by the Premier League um, resulted in the Premier League levying over 100 charges of breaches of competition rules at City over a 14-year period and these alleged breaches include kind of revenue and cost rules, contracts, UEFA rules, profit and sustainability rules and failing to cooperate. It's an unprecedented and seemingly quite significant move from the Premier League side and one which obviously shines another light on City's finances. City, of course, um, deny all exact uh, accusations and in a, uh, a defiant statement said uh, Manchester City Football Club is surprised by the issuing of these alleged breaches of the Premier League rules, particularly given the extensive engagement and vast amount of detailed materials that the EPL has been provided with. The club welcomes the review of this matter by an independent commission to impartially consider the comprehensive body of irrefutable evidence that exists in support of its position. As such, we look forward to this matter being put to rest once and for all. Sai, so before we kind of delve into how long it'll take for it to be resolved once and for all. First and foremost, what does this all blimmin' mean? Because I am no lawyer. I don't really know the Premier League rules from back to front and the Premier League were exactly helpful in providing what rules had been broken when they first breached that statement. So for laymans like me and potential laymans listening to this, what does this all mean in its simplest terms? Uh, Simply, the Premier League are alleging that Manchester City have seriously misrepresented their financial position 
every season from 2009 up to 2018. Um, the investigation into Manchester City started in 2018, and they are also alleging that for every season from 2018 to the current season, Manchester City have failed to cooperate uh, fully with their investigation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've been down this road before with UEFA and financial fair play rules. The Premier League have different financial fair play rules, but the the premise is the same, that you cannot, um, you know, spend more than you can sustainably. And you, you have to, as a business, um, yeah, be responsible and sustainable with your spending. And the charges against Manchester City are that in their financial reports that they have presented to the Premier League, which have been independently audited, by the way. So, um, you know, it, it is seriously misrepresenting if if the charges are true. Um, that Manchester City have not been honest about how much money they have spent and, you know, the extent of the, the money coming in, which is is enormous and that is why the commission that has been set up um the fines range from the the punishments range from a fine to expulsion from from the premier league um you know city have won the the premier league i think it's four times in that no 2012 2014 and 2018 so three times in that nine year period um but i've also won you know four of the last five Premier League titles. So you're talking about the Premier League's certainly one of their biggest assets, one of their best assets, the current reigning champions um, that the Premier League are now going to war with. Um, so, I mean, we had all this last year. Was it last year, the Super League stuff, or two years ago? 2020, um, 18 months ago there, thereabouts, isn't it? Nearly yeah, two years. Yeah, uh, where you've got these huge institutions and organizations taking each other on um you have the same now and you know the 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 decision by the premier league is so seismic that it would be a surprise if both big heavyweights were left standing at the end of it although the end of it will be a very long time away and it's not clear which one it will be because man city are defending themselves as rigorously as they did for UEFA, for which they were fully vindicated for. Yeah, absolutely. And like from the kind of the Premier League's standpoint, there's also, I know you kind of raised a couple of questions in your piece, and that it's, it's interesting timing for these um, these charges to be laid just on basically the eve or the, you know, very close before um, the government white paper on football governance comes out, which, I, you know, it's meant to kind of address the potential need for an independent regulator in football as a result of the Super League and, and you kind know, of the financial situation in um, not just the Premier League, but of course the, the whole football pyramid. And especially that paper is going to kind of suggest maybe the Premier League can't govern itself. And now the Premier League is trying to, it seems, make a statement of their own, say we can and look at us, we're going to take on, um, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the biggest bull in the ring. And as, and as I kind of touched on it, it was interesting that their, the statement wasn't exactly as smooth as it could be, given the, the not that they had to change it throughout the day, didn't they, to kind of include links to the rules that had been broken and make it a bit clearer and stuff. So it, from a Premier League's perspective, it's, it's a big move. I think it's a move that, 
pretty much um, would be you know well received by critics of kind of the football's governance in recent times. But it seems perhaps a slightly cynical one in its timing, given what's coming from the government um, quite soon. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I, I was speaking to Kieran Maguire, uh, the football finance expert, and he tweeted as soon as it came out, you know, what a surprise. And, you know, he was saying it, it's, is it good from the Premier League? You know, does it show that they are capable of governing if they're coming out and saying that they're, you know, that, one of the biggest teams in the country has effectively duped them for almost a decade, um, you know, and it's taken them four long years of uh, of investigating to to find that out. Um, yeah, it, it's strange, and it does strike at the heart of FFP as well, because you know the. <laughs> All of these, City have over 100 alleged breaches. And, and like I say, the first nine or whatever are are, are essentially you've re- misrepresented your annual report, which, which is big. But then you get into like the, the individual charges and they, they go down to like image rights for players. And, you know, that is so minor in the broad scheme of things. And so many clubs have had issues with player image rights over everything and and it's changed so much over the last decade um that it's kind of yeah it it feels like a a big move from the premier league collectively and it's a huge thing they're accusing man city of but some of the individual points um are a bit sort of small on their own uh and you know man city fans have always said that financial fair play was set up, you know, to stop new money challenging old money. Um, and they, you know, they they felt vindicated after the UEFA decision. And this feels like more of the same. Perhaps the Premier League have got more evidence and better evidence um, that can prove what UEFA couldn't. Uh, but it does feel... Hmm... It, it it just feels like a huge thing to allege when the reality is it's not going to be cleared up for mm. for for quite some time. Well, let's kind of touch on the financial fair play thing there because I think it, it's a kind of system that's been in place for years now, but I still think it's quite confusing to me, no less, and you know, not like I'm some great expert or anything, but it's it's kind of a minefield, and I think fans look at it. Um, from the outside looking in, you see, um, not to say that they've done anything wrong in what they've done, because I don't don't really know how the rules work, but you, they see Chelsea spending six hundred million over a twelve month period, um, seemingly without any care or consequence to financial fair play, and it doesn't seem to have stopped them spending whatever they wanted. And then, as you say, there, the the city aren't city aren't allowed to spend put in what they want, like. It, it seems weird, and as you say there, I think there is a point of financial fair play was, if it was applied strictly to every club, there is method into it. There's clearly a growing kind of wealth gap in football that is eroding competition. The Premier League is lucky that it has so many big clubs and is the biggest league, and, and even still it has had one winner for four of the last five seasons. You look in Germany, there's been one winner of the last ten seasons. You look in Italy, there was 
well, there's been three winners over the last 10 seasons now, but for nine seasons, it was one. Spain has had three winners over the last 15, 20 years, whatever it's been. Like, there's a clear kind of wealth gap growing, and funnily enough, it's the teams that were in the European Super League who've won all those titles, even if, um, you know, even if they weren't, weren't monopolies. Uh, so, it's, you know, apart from Spurs and Arsenal, obviously, even though that might that may soon change. Yeah, but it, it the, just seems um, so confusing. And, and it showed, you know, I think someone put up the winners of the leagues if City hadn't won those titles, and I think it was United, Liverpool, United, Liverpool, United, Liverpool. Yep. So it's kind of like, yeah, City haven't masked any um, fairy tale story no, from coming not out. At all. Well, that makes it right if they breach the rules. But of course, like what I was kind of getting to before getting lost into that kind of um, that rabbit hole. Financial fair play in itself is the concept that was kind of needed. Football as a wealth gap, but it hasn't done anything to stop that wealth gap getting even bigger. Pretty much a common trend for life at the minute. But why can Chelsea spend whatever they want freely without? Or at least at the moment, without any consequence, where City can, and you know, the, the it's it also seems like they've had to kind of inflate their revenue if that's what you know that's what's been alleged through their sponsorships and whatnot. And but why can't City's owners just spend what they want? Why allegedly would they have to go to these lengths to spend what they want? It, it's I think it's quite a confusing circumstances for fans to get their heads around. Yes, um, and Man City. Um, you know, if you were defending Man City's position, um, you would say that, you know, Kevin De Bruyne only cost 54 million and, um, you know, going all the way back, Yaya Torres and David Silva and Sergio Aguero's were proven to be like such good buys. City's recruitment over the last, well, the 14 years that they've been under investigation, certainly the last seven or eight has been phenomenal. Um, and you know when you when you then look at Chelsea spending, um, and certainly using the sort of contract loophole that UEFA have now closed, um, I think people are well within their rights to 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 question the broader purpose of a financial fair play. As far as Man City are concerned, um, it doesn't really change the fact that if they've spent money that they didn't have. Um, and couldn't have, you know, accounted for it, then, you know, that doesn't make them any less guilty of the charges. Um, but as we have said, um, Man City have, have firmly denied all the charges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I kind of wanted to come at that with, I, I think the reaction to it on social media as ever has been quite um, violent, shall we say, it's been quite um, explosive. Obviously, City fans um, are, are a good chunk, maybe, you know, perhaps they're not, really reflective of the match going crowd and it's just um, a legion of bots and whatever but there's you know there's been defenses laid and I think that is a reasonable viewpoint to be coming at it from but as you say if they have broken the rules and they are found guilty of broken the rules then the punishment should be you know severe because they are severe severe and kind of plentiful um, accusations to be levied and obviously they've had such success over the last 15 years and if it's at the end of the day, if it's been found that they've gotten that success from an unfair playing field, it will 
be ta- you know it'll be tarred with them forever. But that's why City are kind of as they say in their own statement, they welcome the investigation because they want to clear their name for good. They are confident they'll be found innocent, just as they were. Um, you know, uh, nearly three years ago, or well, two, two two years ago now was it when the the, the Champions League ban was kind of rescinded. But either way, say si, this is now going to the independent commission, as you said. It's going to be a long, long time before we get a resolution out of this either way, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the kind of depressing reality um, of the fact that it will take so long before this commission rules is that, you know, all your usual suspects will just say, yes, yeah, City are guilty. And, you know, people have said City are guilty regardless of of the cast decision um, or, you know, City were fined by cast for not cooperating with UEFA and, and that is taken as, um, oh, well, yeah, well, they must have been guilty because they were fined. And it's like, well, yeah, if you don't cooperate with a, an investigation that you think to be flawed um, and then you're ultimately proven right on that, then is that, how big a crime is that? Um, and... You know, th- there's a lot of mud that's been flung at City that will stick, that that has stuck clearly because as soon as this came out yesterday, you know, like I say, everyone was out saying, "Oh yeah, we knew it. Yeah, what a surprise!" Um, and that will go on and on um, until City get the chance to uh, to to clear the name in the commission, and they might not clear the name. The commission might decide that they're guilty, and then they're banged to rights. Um, but until that point. I think again, City fans will have to get used to um, a lot of people just assuming that that they've done wrong. Mm-hmm. And what is the kind of the process now? Should they should they be found guilty? Is there kind of obviously room to appeal? Could this again go to Cass, or is that off the table this time? Uh, so Cass is off the table, but an appeal can be made by either side should they lose, which would then result in kind of another commission being set up and going through, which would take even more time. But also the stakes are so big for both parties that, you know, it's, I might be wrong, but it's hard to imagine either side not appealing if they don't get the, get the decisions that they, that they want. But it is also hard to know what kind of, what each side wants from it. Um, You know, I've not, um had any kind of this isn't coming from um you know any any sides um but i would think that you know man city would probably be happy with the same verdict as they got at cass i.e they would take the charges for not cooperating with the premier league's investigation uh if they could clear themselves of the financial charges would the premier league be happy to to walk away saying, right, well, we've, they didn't cooperate and we've taken them to court and taken them to this commission. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. You would think that the Premier League would surely need some of the financial stuff to stick to be able to back up such a serious allegation. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they didn't, then yeah, I think it'll run away. If, it does stick if you know they are found guilty and appeals go through and however long that takes. We kind of touched on 
the serious punishments on the table for City. Either I believe you wrote in your piece that they're, they're likely to look forward rather than backwards. So it's not going to be anything silly like um, previous titles getting rescinded and handed to those teams who finished runners up, as you suggested. But it, it's a possibility, I gather, and. The, there is the possibility of points deductions, big fines, and as you mentioned, um, expulsion from the Premier League. In, obviously, it's kind of impossible to put it to this stage. It's probably years um, in the future. But what likelihood do you see of any kind of punishments to that extent? Because I remember after the Super League, there was all the talk of um, the, the the English kind of representatives in that getting relegated or big points fines, and, and there was none of that, was there? There was just a commitment never to do it again, which... We'll talk. We'll touch on in a minute if there's if if that will rear its ugly head once more. But you know, there seems to be big talk of punishments in the past for certain for anything related to this sort of stuff, and they don't usually tend to come. We've seen in Italy, and it's a completely different situation with Juventus. But Juventus are staring down the barrel of yet another um, big punishment. Um, is it something that could happen in England, or what? What, what do you think? Again, we're kind of in unprecedented territory because of the nature of the the allegations. I, I think, you know, you can usually sort of grade each punishment by the likelihood of it happening, you know, versus the seriousness of it. So, you know, the the fine is almost certainly the first port of call and then you go to points deduction and then you go to, to expulsion. But, you know, if they're found to have seriously misrepresented the the financial position for nine years um that is enormous um and there's no getting around that and you will have to be looking at at serious punishments and as well another kind of factor we've spoken about the white paper uh from the government but also you've got like a number of premier league uh well 19 other premier league teams but you know a lot of city's rivals who will be applying pressure to the Premier League in whatever way they can um, to make sure that that these punishments are, are serious because, you know, I mean, Guardiola mentioned as recently as Friday, he was like, I've not forgetting, forgotten the eight or nine teams who wrote to wrote to cast to try and keep us out of the Champions League. Well, you know, it, 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 it would be weird if the clubs that, that did that then um, we're not also acting in their own interests now. Um, so there's there's all sorts going on, really. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a minefield to get around. We'd speak it's kind of so long in the future, but as well as punishments, what would like kind of the consequences be from this? You kind of mentioned there um, a few minutes ago, one of these bodies might not survive the ending of this. And that obviously brings up the question of, is could the Super League make a return if City, if, you know, all of a sudden, one of the first teams to back out of the Super League, um, or maybe the first, um, if memory serves, and to kind of come back to the Premier League. And I've obviously committed to never do that again, but expulsion from the Premier League would kind of leave them open to potentially starting this if they wanted to. And uh, it seems, as you said, such unprecedented. We really are kind of talking speculation. But it seems like a, a real crossroads for not only City, but the English football as a whole. Yeah, um, it's another one of those moments like the Super League and like Project Big Picture, was it? Um, where you sort of stare into the soul of of top-level football and say, what on earth is going to happen next? I think the reality is probably much more boring of it. It'll carry on um, for, you know, as long as this drags on, but it's expected to, to drag on. Um, 
and then we will just have to see what the what the verdict brings. Um, you know, if if Man City are are found guilty of the most serious charges, then yeah, you're talking about uh, you know you would think the um, the sort of things that have happened in in Italy or you know a real um, a, a turning point for the game. You know, I'm not sure Man City will be in a position. Um, you know, City not really the um, the most popular of the big six um, because of their sort of status as a a newcomer into it. Um, I'm not sure if City were found guilty, they'd be in a position to say, "All right, lads, let's all form a breakaway league." Because I think um, certainly their their English rivals would kind of be more willing to take the the take the uh, the money that's on offer from the Premier League and, and continue with that, um, you know, whether any European clubs would would want to join them. Um, I'm not sure. But again, I think, you know, I just think City would be in a really difficult position and just have to sort of take the punishment and shut up. It's certainly going to be an interesting one. I mean, I for one would quite enjoy seeing how many goals Haaland could score in League Two. I think he might kind of break all um, records absolutely possible. But yeah, we're we're a long, long way away from any sort of results like that. And I can only apologise for the knocking that you may be hearing right now. My neighbour suddenly decided hammering the wall uh, on a Tuesday afternoon is the the right way to spend the day. So apologies if you can hear that. But kind of looking a bit closer um, forward, I and. Well, there's not going to be any consequences or results to this for a while yet, but it's going to make for some quite, you'd have thought, uncomfortable press conferences for Pep Guardiola, who already has quite a lot on his plate, um, just in terms of managing the team, as we'll get onto it in, the minute, um, in just a minute. But he is the pretty much the only representative of City, apart from the odd player, and I don't, I don't think it, they'll be getting asked somehow. He's the only representative of City who will be in front of the media, uh, likely, until until um, anything happens. And starting on Friday afternoon, you'd thought, he, he's going to probably have to face some questions. Yes, he will. Whether there is anyone from the club that speaks before then, um, I'm not sure. Uh, before, well, after City were charged by UEFA, their CEO, Ferran Soriano, did an in-house interview with City TV that was that was put out um but he didn't face any sort of extra any questions from external media um the sort of <laughs> the the reason that man city did that was so that it was on the day of a game so that pep guardiola could then walk into the press conference and say ferran soriano has spoken um the the irony being that pep then turned around and said no i'm going to answer questions on it and and that was when he <clears throat> he did his uh, "Don't talk too loud, Barcelona" um, thing that sort of proved prophetically true. Um, but yeah, Friday is going to be uncomfortable for Guardiola, uh, re- regardless of if anyone from the club speaks before it or not, because it will be the first time, realistically, that um, that journalists can ask questions of him um he has said before that he defends the club because he trusts what they say and if they're found to have lied to him then he would walk away the next day he was he didn't have to walk away after after UEFA and Cass he stuck through that he stuck with them 
when they were charged by UEFA and Cass kind of vindicated that decision. So you would think he will stick with them uh, through to this commission uh, to see because there is that trust and loyalty and they are such a such a tight group. Um, you know, Guardiola with Fran Soriano, Chiki Bagiristan, Khaldun Al-Mubarak. Um, it is going to be a rough ride for all of them, but Guardiola will get the most because he is the public figure who has to answer questions, you know, every every few days. And, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Man City tried to sort of limit the the questions over over time. Um, but the questions are going to come um, and they're going to keep coming and he will have to to sort of step into that role as club spokesperson and and answer them all over again. Absolutely, and it will uh, it'll be very intriguing to even see if Guardiola lasts until this uh, investigation and the, the commission comes to a conclusion because after um, Sunday's match, or Saturday's match, the bizarre um, overreaction to the 1-0 defeat to Tottenham I saw from some corners of social media was utterly mind-blowing. I cannot believe I've seen the hashtag Pep out on my, uh, on my feed, but such is the folly of certain football fans. We can now finally get to a bit of football science. As I said, that, that bombshell on Monday came right hot on the heels as it was on the Sunday after the defeat to Tottenham, you know, as if City and Guardiola didn't have enough on their plate. Um, yeah, as I say, an, another loss in the league, another loss at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as City once again failed to even score um, in the white part of North London in that new stadium. It was a winner early on in the game from Harry Kane, a record-breaking goal as he became Spurs' all-time top goal scorer. But other than a Riyad Mahrez shot near the end of the first half that rattled the crossbar, City were pretty pretty devoid of clear-cut chances, pretty devoid of any sort of spark. And they look rather, just rather, just lacking imagination or any sort of rhythm or excitement at the minute. There was a time, even the start of this season, that City were playing amazingly. You know, the United 6-3, of course, but for months now, they've just become so dull. Yeah, and, and on the one hand, you know, since Guardiola, after the Tottenham game at home, said, oh, no one, no one was protecting Rico Lewis when he was getting fouled. On the one hand, you've got all the players now who are like, bang up for squaring up to referees and other teams. And, and there was plenty of that at Tottenham. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, the football itself just feels flat. Um, and I, I, I guess you can be in one of two camps after that Tottenham game. You can either say um, it's Tottenham at Tottenham. We never do well, however well we play. And I don't think they play badly on Sunday uh you know not like awfully they were just pretty bland um pretty average um you, you can either say oh that is you know a continuation of this weird thing that Tottenham have over us or you can say it's a continuation of the kind of post-world cup form um where they've struggled to get Haaland involved in the play um their, their build-up hasn't been great and they've struggled to create enough chances to win games. Um, I did and would put myself in in that latter camp. Um, I don't think, you know, I think I think Sunday showed many of the problems that we've seen in the last few weeks. Um, 
kind of put that to Guardiola in the press conference and he said, oh no, it's just Spurs. It's just this thing Spurs have. So, yeah, those are the two kind of camps of defeat. Or the third camp of defeat is like everyone, everything is terrible. Sack the board, sack the team. Uh, start, which, you know, they might get the wish if the Premier League get their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the third camp certainly isn't the camp I'd like to be in, I'll tell you that, for free. But um, yeah, I, I do kind of agree with you. I think and after the game, Dave Jones, I gave the stat where I don't believe Haaland had even had a touch in the Tottenham box, was it? Or he certainly didn't have a shot. So that does kind of continue the pattern that Haaland just isn't getting on the ball enough, um, isn't being fed enough. And I know City, are, as we've talked about at length, want to keep control. They're not going to play the ambitious passes because they don't want to lose the ball but as was pointed out a million times and I think all the pundits on Sky Graham Souness especially uh, shock horror there was growing increasingly frustrated that Haaland was was making good runs and City just weren't <laughs> putting the ball in head of him for him to chase onto it nearly happened once and I think Lloris was out really quick to kind of get the ball and it's like I should say there weren't other than one player who we'll touch on momentarily no one was like they weren't bad. They just weren't just any good, really. They just weren't exciting. It just still seems to me, as I've argued on this podcast, it feels so simple. Haaland's there. Just pass it to him. You know, they've not... I asked um, our colleague Joe during the match, like, when was the last time Haaland just, like, got through on goal? And he informed me it was Chelsea away when he... Or Chelsea... Whenever, one of those Chelsea games um, uh, in January when he went through and, and he got saved. It's like, remember at the start of the season, the first game against West Ham when De Bruyne put him through and he went through on goal nowhere near him and he slotted it in. We all said to a man on the podcast after that, oh, man, that's going to be a trade, Matt. We're going to see so much of that this season. How many times are you going to run through and just put it into the far corner? And we've hardly seen it since. I don't... It was working. They were playing so well with him and now they're not. I don't... You're now going to tell me why, why brilliantly, I imagine, because he wants control. But you can have all the control you want. You're not winning games with it. Yeah, no, it's... Um, it, you can't... De Bruyne can't play that ball to Haaland if he's not on the pitch, which he wasn't on, on Sunday. And De Bruyne and Gundogan on the pitch. And Guardiola said it was tactical. And... Yeah, I mean, he's trying to get people to um, to get closer to, to Haaland so Alvarez can do that. Um, and, you know, Bernardo Silva was in the team on Sunday and was actually one of the better players. But at the same time, I sort of think leaving your captain and your vice-captain on the bench, a big game, Tottenham away, it's a bit weird. Um, and it kind of speaks to the issues that Guardiola is having post-World Cup of kind of getting a tune out of this team and this squad um, and, and and finding the right blend. And it, and it does seem like um, a lot of players individually are out of form and can't find that form. And, you know, it, it's, it's shown in the fact that they're struggling to find Haaland so much. But I also think they... You know, there were t- Haaland did a you know a great job dropping deep and keeping possession, um, but there were times on Sunday when he got the ball near the goal, and I sort of thought Haaland three months ago would have sh- would have shot, and it and it would have gone in, and it might not have gone in on Sunday, but take the shot. And there were times when Alvarez was charging about around the box. I think it was um, the chance that actually led to uh, Maris hitting the bar, but Alvarez had the ball for so long in the box and so many touches, and you're like. You're a striker. You've been bought to score goals, and 
you're not interested in taking a shot when you're in the box. Um, and yeah, it feels like everything is a bit off. And mm. the t- and you know, I kind of get that. I get why the defenders that are in the team are playing, and Ake and Akanji and Walker um, have all got good qualities. And I thought they brought again. I didn't think they were really bad against Spurs. Um, and Ake and Akanji in particular did really well against Harry Kane. Um, but they're not your players that are going to build the team up from the back. And this team has been built on build up from the back and kind of I'm Eric Laporte's left foot. And even if Laporte's not played, they've had a way of finding that build up and it's just not there at the minute. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What you say with the touches? I'm sorry, with the shots taken, so many touches. I think that's kind of throughout the team. I think I, I believe it was Sunes, maybe you know, slagged off a minute ago, but it was it was right here. Like everyone's taking two, three, four touches before they're releasing the ball, rather than the kind of essence of Guardiola is one touch, move it straight away, or no touches in you know one touch getting it out, and the one touch being your pass. Get me words out there. Everything seems kind of slow and laboured and. Like they're just not sharp. They're not on it. And I, you know, we've been speaking on this for a few weeks now, and I don't really know what needs to change at this point because I don't know how many different combinations and formations and inverted fullbacks. I don't know what he kind of has left over than, as you say, back to basics. Diaz and Laporte in perhaps, and I would say Cancelo at left back, but little chance of that now. You know, get players back in four three three. Get, you know, maybe it's quite a kind of derivative or Allardyce to just say, listen, just get back to basics do the simple things well but you know Fabian Delph <laughs> made himself a city folk hero by saying just as much in that documentary didn't he just do the basic things well don't overcomplicate things and I think Rico Lewis is doing a great job of what he's doing but he's an 18 year old lad being asked to play on the, the unfamiliar side in an inverted role getting the ball on the half turn against people pressing him like Kulaveski and Emerson who I thought had a good game and it just seems all seems a little too intricate at the minute when things aren't going well and maybe just when confidence is obviously clearly a little bit low maybe just go back to what worked what was working that was just blows my mind you know there's, there's not out of it yet by any means but to not take advantage of Arsenal slipping up for the you know losing their second match of the season the first one since I think early September if not August it was a massive opportunity lost and and even when Rodri's not playing well then you know you've got issues but he, you know, he. It was his kind of horrible error that gave away the goal, but he wasn't good for the rest of the match either. And but I think this was quite a predictable outcome. Guardiola said back in September, Rodri cannot play every game. No one can. It's such an intense schedule. But he has played and started every Premier League match other than one, um, the six-three of United. Funnily enough, he played. He started four of the six Champions League group games. Came on at half time in one of them has started all but one domestic cup game. I think in all of his Premier League starts, he's only come off before the 75th minute once. Throw in a World Cup in which he played every minute for Spain, including a penalty shootout defeat. He has played so, so, so much football and it was inevitable that eventually he was going to... I don't want to say it's just fatigue or whatever because he's obviously an incredibly fit athlete, but just so much kind of wear and tear is going to get you eventually and 
the, the issue is in that front is that Phillips hasn't been fit, uh, well, hasn't been available for a large portion of the season. And since he has been fit um, and available over the last 11 games, he's only started once, which was the defeat to Southampton. And he's, he's doesn't seem to be trusted by Guardiola yet, but it's given it's given him a big problem, one that he foresaw all the way back in September. Yes, uh, and, you know, well done for, for, for seeing it. Less well done to Guardiola and the executive team for not getting Phillips to a position. Well, either not getting Phillips to a position where he can play regularly or if they don't think he can play regularly for buying him in the first place. Um, I, I said to um, to Joe at half time of the Spurs game. I said, you know, if City, if City's squad was was enough, then Rodri would be off at half time because he was so bad, and it does feel like that that fatigue and just his decision making at what turned out to be crucial times, but even you know innocuous times like I think the end of the first half, he just smashed a ball from the halfway line to straight out of play for a goal kick. And um, that is has not been not been good enough. You know, the consecutive errors against Tottenham have, have cost them goals. And, you know, he looks like a player that needs a rest. Phillips is the obvious option to bring in. City have got a real problem if they feel like they, they can't trust Phillips to come in and um, and play games now. You know, Aston Villa at home. I would think maybe that's the ideal chance for Phillips to to start um, because I, th- I think it's yeah. more likely Gundogan plays there, which well, is absolutely possible. But it just but, doesn't board well. That, does is, it? that is possible, but then you know you've only got three players who you trust to play at eight, and Gundogan's one of them. So if you play Gundogan there, then. Well, I suppose Alvarez has come in now, but still, you you sort of losing your options, your options there. And again, what are you doing with Phillips? Why is Phillips not there? And I, I think the danger with Phillips is we sort of like treating him as if he's like some academy kid, and like, oh well, he, he's only played, you know, one hundred sixty-five minutes. minutes. Yeah, he's only had one start against Southampton. He's not started in the league, and and you kind of forget that, like, you know, he was a mainstay of the Leeds team for a long time. And has you know a lot of Premier League experience under under his belt. And if he was still at Leeds and Leeds were playing Aston Villa, you would not think twice about Calvin Phillips being in the in the team. So it it is quite strange that you know Phillips seems to be in this position where he he's not trusted to to play like any minutes. Um, you know, because he wasn't like Rodri got markedly better over the course of of Sunday. Um, so yeah, I think, like you say, when when Rodri is is not playing well, then you you really know things are things are a bit out of balance at City. Although you know, we must keep pointing out or saying that like when we we talk about things being like quite out at City, like they're still second, they still could win the league, they're in the FA Cup, they're in the Champions League knockouts. It's like City's crisis season is not like a Liverpool or a Chelsea crisis season. No, absolutely not. But it does, and you know, we've, I think we've often caveated that after like the draw with Newcastle, wasn't it, months ago when it was like, 
oh, bloody it, look how, look how bad they've been in here. And there was like, ah, but it's not the, the end of the world, is it? But I do think, no, it does feel a little bit more like we're approaching the end of the world in, in the fact that these kind of bad results keep happening. I think you pointed out City haven't managed to win three games in a row all season, or at least in the league, and that was mind-blowing to me. It's like, as we, as you've kind of touched on so many times, they were the, just the kings of winning 10, 11, 12 wins. I think that was wrong, that stat. Oh, was it really? I think so. I got oh, it from Opta as well. Oh, it was your um, stat, uh, so I don't get any blame. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they've had four. Four, four right. Four in a row. Well, still, I think that still is quite bad for City when we've known them over the years to be able to win 10, 11, 12, 13 on the spin like it's nothing with absolute kind of just really casually and to be such in a rut and not be able to get anything um, kind of going or any sort of momentum. Like, there's still a long time to go, but they are running out of little time a little bit to get a run going and some serious momentum that will be enough. I should say, Arsenal have had their first setback now. They didn't react pretty well to it on the pitch and the player who was doing the most shouting and kicking off was the most experienced one on there in Zinchenko, of course, who had a little do, got absolutely hooked, line and sinkered by uh, Mope, um, who was taking gamesmanship to the actual 10th uh, um, degree. Uh, if Can they react to that? Can they keep their heads after that one defeat, maybe City City losing obviously does them a massive favour. The two teams meet in two weeks. A lot could change um, in a short amount, of, uh, a week even, um, a short amount of time. But City don't have a lot of time to go. And I thought Kyle Walker spoke quite well after the match. I don't know if you saw, but he, he, he seemed like he kind of said the quiet part out loud when he basically just said, it's all well and good, paraphrasing. It's good having the nice possession, but we need to shoot more. We need to get more shots on target. And, if now even the players are publicly kind of pointing out where, what's going wrong, something really does need to change for um, this, uh, Sunday's game against Aston Villa. Yeah, I don't know if um, if I said it on the podcast. I really hope I did so I don't appear to be, um, you know, smart after the fact. But I sort of thought, you know, it was entirely possible for City to beat Arsenal home and away and not win the league because it's your games like Tottenham away where, you know, you, you can beat Arsenal in two weeks. Great. But if you've lost to Tottenham or you've lost to Villa, then there's no point in, you know, you don't get any benefit from beating Arsenal. Um, we, we kind of feel like we're in that 1920 territory um, where City will play. Well, I suppose City played better in that season, but just where the consistency wasn't there. Um, and, you know, Arsenal lost at the weekend, but are still on for a stupidly high points total. You're like, if you're talking about City win the league, can they get 90, can they get 100 points? Absolutely not. Can they get 90 points? That's probably your absolute ceiling. I don't know if that's mathematically possible. Even I think it is, but, um, but you know, so then you're looking at like 85 points and then you're like, well, is 85 points good enough to win this league? Well, against an Arsenal team that's playing like it is, no. So you're relying on other factors, which is Arsenal tailing off in this second half of the season. Um, and like, yeah, I, I saw Kyle Walker's interview and he he sort of said, um, I know this team can pull off a load of wins in a row. And you look at the team and you think, I don't think they can. Um, you know, the way they're playing, I, I don't think they can because the they're making too many basic errors and gifting goals. And whenever you gift goals, it's harder to to pull it out of the fire and, and come back. And, and in a sense, they've been doing it for more than we 
not whatever the opposite are giving credit for this season is. You know, you think like the the home comebacks against like Crystal Palace and people like that, they've they've been conceding more goals than they should for most mm. of the season. And that is not a team that is like the relentless machine that's gonna win the league. So not saying they can't win the league and they can't beat Arsenal home and away, but they're gonna have to find a consistency that they haven't had mm. yet and hope that Arsenal tail off quite badly. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think what you, the word you're kind of looking for is like we let them off the hook quite a lot. I think in this podcast we certainly pointed out the new defensive frailties, but we kind of said, oh, they brought Haaland in. It seems like they've sacrificed a bit of that um, kind of solidity in order they've got Haaland, you're going to score more than everyone anyway. You're basically starting a game, and they were at the start of the season, like pretty much 1.5 goals ahead just because of Haaland being in the team. That's how much he was scoring. So it didn't really matter as much if you let a couple in. They, they sacrificed that you know, really solid foundation. But now, and it was working really well. City were playing some great football, were really fun to watch, were scoring um, loads of goals. And they, they, were, you know, they weren't taught, but they were what, a point behind for most of it. And it was going well. And then it seems that there was a cut-off point in that Liverpool game, maybe, um, as we've said previously, where Pep Guardiola maybe wanted to get that solidity back and but couldn't with Haaland. So he's done this... You know, the inver- he's brought the inverted fullbacks in to have another body in field, congest the area, um, try and make them more solid, and I should say play a lot more conservatively on the ball, not take as many risks, not getting the ball into Haaland as much because, um, you know, he scores loads, but he can also lose it. You know, you're running onto loose balls, there's more likelihood of losing it than it, whether it's just defeat. But they've not been able to get that solidity back because now, with the way they're playing... Lewis is playing really well and doing really well in the task he's been given, but the amount of times him and Walker were kind of caught and the whole team was caught on the lethal counters coming back. Like Spurs could have and should have won far more than that 1-0, the amount of opportunities they had on the counter. And it was only um, some resolute defending from like Akanji and Aki and Lewis and, and Jack Grealish. I want to kind of quickly give credit to him because I thought um, he, he's, his forms still remains good and the, the, the defensive work he's putting in has been brilliant. And there's the bad kind of finishing from Son and Kulvesky and Kane. Like they should have been more. And I don't know if they can get that that defensive solidity back now because it just seems they started the season one way and they've tried to change halfway through. And that that's quite a hard thing to do, I'd imagine. Yeah, although I, I can't remember many Tottenham chances. I think they didn't kind of end in shots. They kind of went through, and then like Edison, like they 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 countered really quickly three or four times towards the end when City were yeah. going for it, and then it was either the the final ball was dodgy or a, a tackle came in and stuff like they were nearly caught out four or five times if they were a little better going forward. But that that's what that's what I kind of mean. Like it, he's trying to go back to this defensive solidity, but it's not working because you know having Haaland in the team means you have one less body who's really good on the ball. Um, to kind of conserve it, and the the, I, I just the solution to me, and as I said, I'm not a great tactician or anything. Just seems to be just go back to what was doing so well at the start of the season, where you were just blowing teams away. Yeah, yeah, they just look disjointed at the minute, and there doesn't look to be a link between the defense and the attack. And there's quite a vulnerable, large space in that middle of the pitch where where they're not controlling, which for a team about control. Um, is is concerning for them. Um, yeah, it, <laughs> I don't really know how they go about um, solving it. You know, you, you've got people saying, "Oh, just play your best 
11 players, but who are your best 11 players? Because, you know, on, on Sunday, it's hard to say who was in better form that should have started. Um, and also, yeah, like aside from, from Rodri, it's hard to say who, who really, really underperformed. It was just the team aren't doing what, what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, well, things will have to change on Sunday if um, you know another big reaction needed. Um, Villa lost uh, to Leicester four two in quite an exciting game at the weekend, but otherwise had been going quite well under Unai Emery. Majors uh, more than capable of getting scalps against big teams. I believe Villa beat Tottenham themselves um, a few weeks back um, and beat United at one point, didn't they? In, 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 in Emery's first game, wasn't it in the league three three one? I believe so. It's not um, not the easiest of games. Um, you know, a challenging manager who Guardiola probably know well from time in Spain and whatnot. One who plays quite resolute football. One who could be hard to break down. And it's going to be another test of how City can they find Haaland? Can they get that attacking verve to to get past them? Yeah, it is. Although I I don't know. You know, maybe we'll be looking back at this season and say, oh, the Villa game was the real turning point. I think just like, you know... You did say that last weekend, though. I'll tell you that for free. You did say that about Tottenham. Well, yeah, yeah. But but, but I think Tottenham, you know, I stand by that Tottenham might be a game where we say, well, that was the time where we all realised that, yeah, they're not consistent enough to win the league. And they're not, you know, good enough even uh, with a collective mentality to take advantage of Arsenal slip-ups because that was the other, you know, real psychological element of the weekend and Walker said before the game he was like yeah we have to take that into account they weren't able to do what they did in 18 and 19 well less 18 because they strolled it but 19 responding to Liverpool um they weren't able to do that like you know they they can comfortably beat Aston Villa without it meaning anything to their season other than you know they'll finish second um so yeah not to you know, whatever. I'm trying not to swear. <laughs> I know. I know what you. I know exactly what phrase you want to say. Does it begin with P and ends in chips? I'm gonna guess. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bang on. Yeah. I'm trying not bang to uh, to take the take the umph out of the question, but um, mm. it, it feels like Aston Villa will probably mean very little to the wider context of of City season mm-hmm. unless something major happens and they don't win. Well, that's that's what I'm trying to get. Like, if they don't win again, like, it, could it really be panic stations? I mean, what kind of changes do you foresee, if any, to the game? You know, we talked about the midfield options, but one, the a new one they've got, which we did not foresee. Maybe we were so facetious in thinking we'd never see his face again after signing. But Maximo uh, Peroni was on the bench at Tottenham um, due to Phil Foden's kind of late um, admission. Will we will we see uh, the pint-sized Peroni actually make a Premier League debut? What a what a turn up for the books that would be. Well, it would shred all my credibility if he did, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a surprise to see him on the bench. Uh, it was a surprise to see him, um, you know, involved. I, I don't know if he was maybe a late, late replacement for for Foden, because um, Foden obviously travelled down with the team and then was, was ill um, at the team hotel, so wasn't part of the squad. So maybe there was a sense of that. But if he's been thrown in, uh, for the Tottenham game on the bench, and there's no reason why he wouldn't be thrown in uh, again for other matches. Um, yeah, I, he must have made a, a good impression on 
on Guardiola to be to be included in the squad. Any other changes you think? Foden come back if he's recovered? Um, yeah, possibly. But then, like you say, Grealish was quite good. Although, although Grealish has massively divided the fan base as well. Like half of them didn't think he was any good on Sunday, and um, which I can I can appreciate the points, but I still think he was one of the one of the better players. I, I mean, I think one change that might be necessary is um, stop looking up. Look down, like as as worrying as it as it might seem. Manchester United are uh, are doing pretty well. I think they could. I doubt the goal difference is good enough to to be above them if they beat Leeds in midweek. But I think they play Leeds twice before City are next in action. Yeah, um, well, they'd have to they'd have to win by about twenty four nil, I think, to kind of go above them on dual difference. Which, given right. Leeds' form, isn't completely out of the question, but. Yeah. Unlikely. Yeah, but but if they play them twice, then they can go above City yeah. before City play because City is inexplicably a four thirty Sunday afternoon game. So um, yeah, so so it would be looking up actually if United won. But you know, all this focuses on Arsenal. Well, yeah, there are other teams in in better, more consistent form than you at the minute, and maybe focus on sort of keeping clear of them before you can then go and tackle Arsenal again. We're all about, you know, City be Arsenal in the title race. But if City can't, if City are below United, then United are in the title race, surely. So, so um, yeah. So it's, it's about expectations. And, you know, I think the boring footballer answer is take every game at a time. Um, mm-hmm. But I really do think City just have to take Villa, get them out of the way and then really build up to, to Arsenal. Well, it's certainly concerning times for Manchester City on and off the pitch. But if you want to keep up to date with all the latest news in terms of the, the charges laid at the club by the Premier League and the, the club's uh, fortunes and misfortunes on the pitch, you know where to go. It's over at manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. And if you'd like to watch this podcast in living colour, you can go over to our brand new YouTube channel, Manchester Evening News dash Man City, um, to get, as I say, to watch this podcast in our little uh, Zoom screens and uh, plenty more great video content. So go over there, give it a cheeky subscribe, uh, like and enjoy all the content. Um, Thank you very much for listening to the latest episode of the Talking City podcast. We'll be back next week, no doubt, to talk about that Villa game, whatever it entails, and all the more drama that's coming out of the Etihad. But until then, everyone, it's goodbye for now. Ta-ra.